I was just thinking, I've known Brother Muncie probably probably 20 years, and uh, most of it's good. No, all of it's good, and we appreciate him very much. He, uh, he's, he's real. What you see is what you get. He's not, he don't put on a show, and I like that, and, uh, and he don't think he's anybody, and I like that too. And if you think you're somebody, then you've got problems. And uh, the great Apostle Paul said, uh, you know, he, he talked about that. If a man thinketh he is something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself uh, at the end. So if you want to turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 2, I think it's chapter 2. Uh, actually, it's chapter 3. Uh, so just go to Revelation 3 and, and hold your place there. I'm going to give a little bit of introduction before we read that passage. Um, we're going to talk today about the subject of the church. We're not going to, it's not going to be a doctrinal message. Uh, I, do, I try not to do those kind of things at somebody's church. It's not my place. Um, I may say a couple things here that be, will be doctrinal, but for the most part, I'm going to, it's going to be a prophecy-type message about the end times. And let, me, let me say this while you're turning in your Bible there to Revelation 3. You have no idea. You have no idea what's coming upon the world. You have no idea what's coming upon America. We've all seen movies and read books about the Great Depression, 1929, 1932. You've all heard about people jumping off buildings when the stock market crashed. And and you've seen the bread lines, the black and white pictures of the big bread lines, people coming to get some bread from the government. And uh, what's coming will make that look like a Sunday school picnic. What's coming? Remember the Waltons? I grew up with the Waltons. That don't exist today. That environment does not exist today for the most part. There's no family, grandparents, and all. There's there's none of that structure anymore. People live in high-rises. They live off the government. They live off checks. They live off welfare. They live off this and uh, free that. What, What happens when the government's broke? I'm telling you, you have no idea. There is a cloud over our country right now, a black cloud. I've never seen anything. I'll be 63 in March. I'm not as old as some of you here. I've never in my entire life seen what I'm seeing today. You say, are you trying to scare us? I'm trying to awaken you. And I don't mean the wokeness the world talks about. That's a bunch of wicked, vile garbage. I'm talking about being awakened to what's coming. Yes, the Lord's coming, and he may come uh, tonight. He may come tomorrow. He may come next week. We may, we may be taken out of here before America completely falls. But then again, we may not. It may be that the rapture's a year or two away. I don't know. But I'm telling you, America is on the verge of a great fall. I believe, a God, I believe God has taken his hand up because we've turned our back on him. My goodness, we're, we're, we've got 10-year-old kids being, being operated on by doctors. I hate to call them doctors. They ought to be, they ought to be put in the electric chair. Honest to goodness, I'm serious about that. To, to remove the, the genitals of a little 10-year-old child because he, his mom thinks he, he's supposed to be a girl and, and a doctor willing to do that ought to be put in the electric chair. I'm serious. There's nothing, there's nothing doctor about that. Wicked and vile. What has happened to us? We've lost that book. So what's happened to us? We threw God out of this nation a long time ago. And this is what happens to a nation that turns on God. 
And uh, these, these, are, these are perilous times. The Bible talks about in the, uh, in, the latter, in the latter days, some shall depart from the faith. I'm seeing that everywhere I go. Not just, not just, I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about God's people have, uh, have, have turned from the faith. I've been, I, I mean, Calvinism's on the rise. I'm sure you're seeing it too. Calvinism is suddenly a big deal again. Calvinism, stupidest thing you ever heard. Calvinism. God created a little child for hell and he created the other one for heaven. Ain't that the stupidest thing you ever heard? What kind of God would do a thing like that? That's Calvinism. And uh, I, I, there's a guy on the internet, big King James guy. guy some of you would know who he is. And uh, he's, he's a Calvinist, but strong King James man. Well, now he, he started talking about his Calvinism. So I, I, I couldn't take it. I, I said something. He, bl- he blocked me, booted, booted me off there. God bless him. And uh, uh, what, what bothers me about that guy is a lot of people respect him because of his stand on the King James Bible. But he's in heresy about, the, about salvation. And uh, that bothers me. And uh, so there's a cloud. But let me say this. As America goes, so goes the world. We are the country of the world that has been the salt and light. We have been the messenger of the gospel since England went downhill. It passed on to us. And we've been the gospel-preaching nation of the world. You know that's true. It's America. Back, you know, 50 years ago, uh, that was sending missionaries around the world. Now Great Britain needs missionaries. It's, it's a cesspool in Great Britain. In fact, they can, you'll be arrested if you preach against homosexuality in Great Britain. It's against the law. And uh, Canada, look at Canada. What happened to Canada in just 10 years? What happened? Uh, they're, 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 they're killing the old people now. Oh, my goodness. You have no idea what's coming. No idea. What's coming upon this world? Revelation 3, uh, let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that you'll bless us today. Lord, I pray you'll awaken some of us. I'm not just trying to scare people. I want to awaken us so that we'll prepare for what's coming. Yes, let's be prepared for the rapture. That's important. But let's also be prepared if the rapture's got a ways to go yet. Maybe we're going to live through some bad, bad times. And I believe the prudent man seeth the evil coming afar off and hideth himself. I believe it's important that we see the storm coming upon us so that we can do what we can to prepare for it and be able to be a help to other people in this great tragic time that's coming. Yea, it's, it's upon us now. Lord, I pray you bless the service today. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation 3. We are living in the final hours of the church age. I won't go into the details in the book I do, but uh, I believe the seven churches, and we're going to look at that in just a minute, beginning in verse 14, but we're not going to go there yet. But chapter 3, verse 14 begins the story of the Laodicean church, or as it's called, the church of the Laodiceans. This church is different than the other six mentioned in chapter 2 and 3. You'll find them listed as the church of, of Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, and on and on throughout the, seven, uh, the six churches. When you get to the seventh one, it's, it's, it's worded different. You can look at that later. You'll find that uh, this last church, it's, it, it doesn't say the church in Laodicea. What does it say? It says the church of the Laodiceans. Something different about this one. By the way, this is the church age you and I live in right now. 
In fact, we're at the very end of it. We're at the, in the latter days, some shall depart from the faith. We're at the end of the end. We're at 2 Timothy chapter 3 when the Bible says in the, in the last days, perilous time shall come. What's the word perilous means? It comes from the word peril, danger. Remember the old uh, Lost in Space black and white show back in the 60s? Danger, Will Robinson, danger. Uh, yeah, you ain't seen danger yet. Dangerous times. These are dangerous times. And uh, I, I teach a ladies, a ladies self-defense class sometimes when I go to churches. And I try to scare them. I try to scare you ladies half to death. Do you know this is the most dangerous time in the history of America to be a woman? Oh, yeah. These are dangerous times. I watch them when they come out of, out of Walmart into the parking lot. They're, they're, they're on their phones. And they got bags in their hand. They're not looking around. They're not thinking. They get up to the car. They get in. They don't even look. You, you know they didn't look in the back seat. They didn't look around their car. Uh, you, we're unaware of how dangerous it is Amen. in the world today, especially to be a female. And uh, these are dangerous times. And these are perilous times. Listen, when a man don't believe in God, he don't believe in judgment, that's dangerous. Because your life means nothing anymore. And who's to say I can't take what belongs to somebody else? If there's no God, if there's no, if there's no hell, there's no judgment, uh, what right does that other guy have for his money? Why can't I have his money? Do you see what I'm saying? Christianity and biblical truth is what, is what solidifies a nation and makes a nation a, a great place. Righteousness exalteth the nation. And we've lost that. The whole stinking cesspool in Washington, D.C., they're, they're all but a few of them, they're a bunch of stinking, rotten liars. Everyone jokes about it, but it's the truth. They're liars. They lie to us. They've, they've bankrupted your grandchildren. Your grandchildren will never have what you've had. Never. $32 trillion in debt, and that's not counting... The, the unfunded liabilities that are coming. Medicare, social, they're broke. They spent your Social Security money. Who did that? Congress did that. You can blame it on the presidents if you want. Congress has the purse Amen. strings. Right. Congress right. spent the Social Security money that was supposed to be there gaining interest so that uh, you know, we could all retire. They made us get in it. They forced us in it, but then they didn't... They didn't uh, they didn't oversight. No, they didn't oversee it, and they spent it. Medicare. What, what, what happens when Medicare is gone? How, how are you going to get health care? The whole health care system's broke. Yes, sir. Did you know there's no more family practice other than maybe a, a one here and there if you're lucky? Family practice is gone. The doctors now work for the hospitals. And you, the, the, you, you saw this the last two years. Yeah. This is this. Right. We're in trouble. Amen. The doctor's not the final say anymore. It's the it's upstairs. It's what they say. They say you're going to get this, you're going to get that. And the, the doctor has no say in it. Uh, during the last two years, I found some doctors outside the grid who were willing to prescribe the, the right things, Amen. HCQ and ivermectin and stuff like that, saving lives. They had to, they had to hide in the background, though, because the government was after them. And uh, I could go on and on with this. I'm telling you, we're in serious, serious trouble. You have no idea that the money in your pocket is almost valueless. And you have no idea what's coming. You ought to watch what they're doing. I think he mentioned it. Uh, the World uh, Economic Forum, Charles Schwab. We call him Santa Claus. We, uh, we just did a show about him on television. It's on YouTube, by the way. All of our stuff's on YouTube. 
Um, I don't know if it's been, it might get thrown off there. Everybody says, boy, they, they, YouTube might throw that one off. I don't know. Um, but television doesn't censor us yet. Now, we have to be careful on YouTube what we talk about because we live in the land of censorship now. We live in what our forefathers took up arms to get rid of, and we live in that. And if you think censorship's okay, then, you know, you don't understand what freedom's about. And if you don't have freedom of speech, you don't have freedom. Uh, we've lost the Second Amendment. We don't know what the Second Amendment Most people think the Second Amendment's about hunting. Or they think it's about self-defense. It's not about self-defense either. That, that's a byproduct. No, the Second Amendment was given. You can read it for yourself in case we had to ever overthrow a, t- a tyranny in our government. That's exactly right. And no, nobody will talk about that. Yeah. And, uh, all right, so, we're living in the last days. The church age is one of the signs of the last days. Because the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, I believe, are literal. They existed. They had pastors. John was told to send the book of Revelation to the pastor of each of those churches, the angel. And uh, they're figurative of things in our life. You've heard a sermon on the Luke, don't be a lukewarm Christian. Literally, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a lukewarm church. But it's not, is it wrong to use it figuratively? No, of course not. But the third way to look at, at Revelation and the seven churches is the prophetic law. What is the prophetic law? The seven churches are prophetic of the entire 2,000-year church age that we're at the end of right now. You and I, whether you like it or not, were born at the time of the final age of things. That's where we are today. And uh, we're, in the, we're in the final age, and, uh, and we've gone 17 minutes. We've got 13 minutes left, and we ain't got started yet, okay? But listen, the attributes of the final church age. There's some things about that final church in Revelation that I want to I show you. Uh, Ephesians 2, we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, He's talking about the building. He's talking about the church. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly joined together groweth unto a holy temple. The church was started, I believe, by Christ upon the foundation of the 12 apostles. And uh, now I understand Pentecost, and I, uh, I believe Pentecost is the empowering of the church. If you believe Pentecost was the start of the church, I'm not mad at you. And, and maybe you're right. Uh, I just don't see it that way. I believe the church existed before Pentecost. I believe it was founded upon the the apostles and Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And I believe the church was empowered on Pentecost. It's obvious in Matthew 18, if you had a problem, you were to take it to the church. Well, if the church didn't start till Pentecost, Houston, we got a problem here. (laughs) So, but anyway, I don't argue that with people. That's fine. John Rice and all them, I think they perpetuated the Pentecost church and all that. That's fine. And uh, I think a lot of it comes from the Protestant movement, and I I am not Protestant. I used to be Catholic. My name is still in the Vatican, and I was baptized as a a fine, good-looking young baby boy as a baby. I was baptized, at least my mom told me I was, in the Catholic Church, so my name's in the Vatican, and I guess my original sin was washed away. Yours hasn't been, Doc, but mine was. uh, That's what they tell me. And I got baptized as a little baby. My original sin was, was washed away. Later on, I became an altar boy. I got confirmed. And I don't remember much of it. I have no idea what it meant at the time. I understand it now. But, uh, but anyway, thank God, July 4th, 1981, 10 o'clock at night, 
I realized I was a wicked, vile sinner on my way to hell. I'd been lied to, and I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior that night, July 4th, uh, on, at 10 o'clock at night. I can still see the very room I was in. I can tell you how it happened. I can tell you what I read, what moved me, the conviction that came upon me. I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. I have never doubted since that day. You may have doubted before, and that's fine. I'm not mad at you. I have never doubted my salvation one time since July 4th, 1981. I know that God reached down and saved me. I haven't always lived it. I've done things since then that I'm not proud of. But praise God, it isn't not doing those things that saved me in the first place. So... Um, the seven churches mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3 are not only literal churches that existed in John's day, but they're prophetic of the entire church age. Today, is the, we are in the Laodicean age, and I'm going to skip all the seven churches and not try to explain all that to you. But we're the final church of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We are the one right before, if you want to turn the page and look at, uh, at chapter 4, look what it says there. After this. Now, when you see after this, what does that mean? He's talking about something that just happened. So, so put a, I put an arrow in my Bible pointing up to verse 22 of Revelation 3. In other words, that whole passage there. In other words, after the church age, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Hey, I like that. I like the sound. A door was opened in heaven. Now, the sci-fi people would say a portal was opened. Did you know they're right? We don't use that terminology. The Bible uses door. And I can show you this in several places in the Bible where God opened a curtain or opened a door and allowed somebody to see into heaven or allowed somebody to come from heaven to here or from paradise to here. Where do you think Moses and Elijah came from on the mountain of transfiguration? They came through a portal. The sci-fi people would say. They came through a door. They came from another dimension called paradise where all the old testament saints were who were who were saved awaiting the redemption of christ shedding his blood putting it on the mercy seat they're in paradise and a door opened and moses and elijah came to the mountain where jesus was and they spoke together you know the story matthew 17 and uh he uh they talked and we don't know what they talked about i got a suspicion but we don't know um, and uh, Peter, James, and John are there. And by the way, right before that, it says after six days. Hey, how about after 6,000 years? A day is with the Lord is 1,000 years. After six days, he taketh Peter, James, and John, the church, up into a mountain, the mountain of the Lord. And uh, they go up. Two guys come down, Moses and Elijah. Guess who the two witnesses are during the tribulation? Moses and Elijah. You may say Enoch. That's fine. I believe I could talk you out of that if I had a few minutes with you. Um, I believe God just told us who they are in Matthew 17. Why are they there? Because a witness has to have seen something. He has to have witnessed something. The two witnesses are coming back during the tribulation. When we're gone, they're coming to Jerusalem. They're going to, they're going to witness and preach to the Jews only for three and a half years. What are they going to preach? They're going to say, I've seen the resurrected Messiah. Jesus is his name. I, I've seen him. I've handled him. And uh, Because uh, that's what a witness has to have been, be able to do. And uh, all, all through the Bible, you'll see doors. Stephen, as he's getting stoned, sees in the heaven God opened the curtain, allowed Stephen to see into heaven. He's, what did he see? Jesus standing on the right hand of the Father. 
Why is he standing? Because he hadn't sat down yet because the, the door is still open for Israel. And that's why Stephen is preaching to them. They pick up stones and they kill him and the door shuts. Right. And God is going to use a Gentile church, which he's used for 2,000 years sure. now. Right. But we're at the end of that. And we need to understand this. We're at the end of that. The Laodicean church, and by the way, back to chapter 4, verse 1 here. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, saying, Come up hither. Hey, does that sound like caught up to you? Come up hither. Revelation 4, 1 is the rapture. When does it take place? After this. After what? After the church age. We're not going to be here for the tribulation period. It's got nothing to do with us. We're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to be eating cake and ice cream. We're going to be celebrating while all hell breaks forth down here on planet Earth. And you can see it already happening. The delusion is already here. Christians, it's unbelievable how fickle Christians are today. We're deceived and being deceived. We're, we're, we're drawn away. We, we don't know our Bibles. We don't know truth. And look what's happened to us. Amen. We're having rock bands in our churches now. Pastors are dancing around on the platform. People are rolling around on the floor. we got skirt watchers. A guy's job is while the Holy Ghost is moving and people uncontrollably rolling on the floor, one person's job is to make sure the skirts don't come up on the ladies rolling around uncontrollably on the floor. That's as wicked as the devil. God does not overcome you. You have to yield to the Holy Spirit of God. I'll tell you who does overcome you is devils. That's what that is. There's nothing godly about that. Charismatic, whole charismatic. I got more Catholic blood in me than I do the charismatic movement. At least they're grounded upon something. It may be wrong, but at least, yeah, what, a, what a disaster we've become. And the music programs and, uh, and the rock music and the immoral immodesty and everything. You just name it. We're, we don't even look like Christians anymore. You say, well, God's not interested in the outside. Oh, he's not, is he? You don't think he is. I promise you God's interested in the outside of you. And if there's something in you, it, it, it ought to show eventually on the outside. The Odyssean Age, I believe, began somewhere around 1901. Why do I say that? Because of the introduction of the new versions of the Bible to America. We have never been the same since that day. And then, of course, fast forward to 1954. I'm not even born yet. And uh, the American Standard, it began to be more popular and more people began using it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's not the King James, but it's good and uh, it's easier to read. And, uh, uh, but, but, you know, we still need our King James. They, they didn't go all the way with it. Boy, we're all the way now. Now it's, oh, you're a King James only. Like, like that's a cuss or something. Oh, you're King James only. Well, I don't use that terminology, but, but I do use the King James and only the King James. If that makes me a King James only in your yeah. mind. But see, they've made a slur out of that. Yeah. We'll get to that in a second. Since the church of the Laodiceans represents the church as it exists at the rapture, it is here that we will find the attributes of the final end times church. And i got to move fast here. The modern churches of today have strayed from the foundations much more than we realize because it's like the frog in the water. You don't even feel it. You don't feel the water getting warm. We've grown up in this, and we've, we've gone with it, and we, we don't realize until you watch some old movie or you study the old preachers, and, and you say, boy, things were a little different back then. 
You know, back then, uh, people came to the altar and they wept and they begged God for mercy and, and uh, things. Uh, I mean, you got Jonathan Edwards preaching sinners of the hands of an angry God and people grabbed the pillars of the church thinking they were going to fall into hell. When's the last time you felt that at church? He wasn't even Baptist. George Whitfield preaching out in the coal mines of Pennsylvania. And uh, so many people came. They, they were packed in like this and coal all over their face. And thousands, tens of thousands would come. Coal miners. Try, try go visiting the factories and coal miners today and get people to come to church. Come, get them to come here preaching. No, they're going to drink beer when they get off. They would swamp there and they, they would come. And George Whitfield said that I would preach until I could see, uh, be, I could see the coal dust coming off, meaning there were tears in their eye. And he knew he was, that the Spirit of God was working on them. In his final hours, he was preaching from a window and he preached for hours and he, he kept trying to quit. And the crowd would, preach on, preach on. We can't handle 30 minutes. Preach on! And he said, I'll preach till the candle goes out. And he stuck a candle there. That night the candle went out and George Whitfield died and went to heaven. Preaching the word of God. What happened to those days? The spiritual conditions of the church is ticking towards end time events. Now our passage, let's read it quickly and, and I'll give you a couple things and we'll, uh, and we'll go and do whatever we do on Sunday afternoons. Eat, I think, right? Verse 14, unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor, and blind and naked. Notice their, their perception of themselves was that they were good, in need of nothing. God says you're poor, wretched, blind, miserable, and naked. Then he says in verse 18, I counsel thee, church, Laodiceans, the church of the Laodiceans, buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. I want to give you the three attributes of this end time church that I see in this passage. I'll do this very quickly. Here, here's all three of them right here. These are three, there are three pillars that the, that the church becomes, uh, there are three pillars needed to set a church apart from the world. <clears throat> Without these three pillars, the church becomes just a place where people assemble. These three pillars are clearly pointed out in this text. The Laodiceans had lost all three of these important pillars. Definitely, this passage is prophetic of the final church age before Christ returns. Here are the three pillars. This church lost these three things. They lost their soul, which is their identity. They lost their stand for moral values. And they lost their hold on the scriptures. These three pillars are what separate a church from a club or a lodge or a rock band or a concert. Just because a bunch of people assemble together doesn't make you an New Testament church, right? These three things are important. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and sup with him. The church of the Laodiceans describes the condition of our average church today and is a ticking clock getting ready to strike midnight. The first pillar here that the, this church loses, and I believe we'll see that in our generation right now, the final church loses its soul. 
Now, by soul, I mean this. Your soul is, is who you are. It's your identity. <clears throat> the, the, this, this final church loses its identity. Um, he says, uh, <clears throat> this is the church that is prophetic of the last church age, the one we're living in right now. The Lord seems to be revealing that the church has become a big, all-inclusive, universal assembly in the last days, rather than a place for spirit-filled saints separated Unto God. The seventh church in Laodicea had changed. It lost the pillars that separate it from the world and make it unique. The people wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to exercise their rights. Not surprisingly, the word Laodicea means just that, the, my rights, the rights of the people. They lost their identity as a church and became just an assembly of people doing their own thing. That's what your average church is today. No matter what the Bible says, we're going to do what we will. We'll do the Lord's Supper the way we want to, when we want to, how we want to. And uh, we'll, we'll have the music we want to. We've become God. There was very little difference between the church of the world around them and the world around them. What I just described would fit the description of most, ch- most churches today. We are not separated. We are not different. We are no longer a peculiar people. A lost person could visit on Sunday morning and feel right at home. That shouldn't be. <laughs> A lost person shouldn't feel comfortable here. A lost person can visit Sunday school, uh, Sunday morning, and feel right at home. We've lost our identity. We've we've lost our soul. And uh, number two, the final church loses its stand. Remember? So the first first pillar is this, identity. So a church has to identify somehow as a church. And... uh, See, you're not, you're not a church just because you assemble a crowd together. You can do that at a football game. A church has to, have, has to be constituted and have certain be- beliefs and things. Um, we'll get to that in a second. The final church loses not only its identity, its soul. And by the way, have we? I've been in a lot of churches. I mean, they turn the lights off. They turn the lights off. And the, and, and the music starts, and it's unbelievable. You need earplugs. It's so loud. It's like the rock music I grew up with, with Christian words, supposedly. Not that you can hear them. And, and people gyrating on the stage. I mean, I mean, it's like a rock concert. And you, young people get mad at me all you want. I'm telling you, this is not what God's people are supposed to be doing. This is not God's kind of music. This is the music that appeals to the flesh, and that's why, and that's why they're, what they're doing. They're, they're, they're drawing a crowd, and people come for the music, not the preaching. When I went to Howells Anson College, I'll tell you why people went to Howells Anson College. They went there for Dr. Jack Hiles. Whether you like him or not, people went there for Jack Hiles. That's why, that's why I went. I went because I, I heard Jack Hiles, and I wanted to be around him. And uh, you ought to come to this church for that man right there and his preaching. That's the main event. Now, other things are good, and we need other things. That's the main event right there. And, uh, and that's why I would come to this church for him. And I respect him, and I know, and I believe he's a man of God. And that's, that's what it's all about. And you rally around him and as, he, uh, as he keeps the pillars upright. That's his job, keep the pillars upright. Keep the, the identity. We're, we're a New Testament Baptist church. That's what we are. And we're going to keep, the, keep it that, keeping that pillar strong and uh, not being ashamed of the name on the, song, on the, on the sign. You know, they're taking Baptist off now. Well, I just think it's old-fashioned. Well, I like old-fashioned. 
God's old-fashioned. The Bible's old-fashioned. It was old-fashioned when we had the first Great Awakening in the 1700s where thousands and thousands were saved. The, the Great Awakening in the 1800s, that was old-fashioned too. But look what it did for the world. Hey, what are we doing today? No, to nothing. What's the churches today? Very little happening from our churches. What's happened? Has God changed? No, we've changed. The church has changed. We've lost the pillars that make us, make us unique, make us different. Final church, number two, loses its stand on moral values. Now, this is one people bristle at. Well, Brother Goodwin, well, I'll just read what I wrote here, and you, you take it or leave it. We hear about how bad America has become, but I think the world around us is a mirror image of our churches. I think as the church goes bad, the world around it goes bad. Quit blaming the world. The problem is us. Nobody wants to admit that. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. We used to talk about that. Preachers often blame the worldliness of their church on the influence of the world around him. I think it's the other way around. The world around us is getting worse because the church has lost its influence on the world. We have lost our saltiness. Matthew 5.13, you know the verse, salt of the earth. If the salt's lost its savor, wherewithal shall be salted. You know, Charles Finney made a statement, the pulpit is the conscience of a nation. So goes the pulpit, so goes the church, so goes the church, so goes the world around us. And what do we do? We blame the world for how we've become. And it's us. The leadership of our churches has begun to rethink who we are and what we stand for. Yes, I'm talking about old-fashioned standards and convictions. Many pastors today, and sad to say, many of them older men, older men, who have been in the ministry for many years are having second thoughts about preaching on touchy issues that have separated the men from the boys all these years. I'm talking about touchy sermons like, what's wrong with tattoos? And warning of young, it ain't the men anymore, it's the girls that have got tattoos all of their bodies. You understand that you were creating the image of God? Do you understand what the tattoo business is all about? It's about distorting your body and making you so you're not in the image of God. Touchy sermons like uh, warning the folks about the evils of rock music. The churches of the prior generation were known for old-fashioned, window-rattling, shingle-pulling, preaching. Instead of church being a place to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, it has become an entertainment center for fun and games. And I'm not against fun and games. I think we need that. Instead of a place to be prepared for battle, the church has become a place for movies and sing-alongs and casual fellowship. Again, I'm not against those things either. We no longer preach the dangers of being alone with the opposite sex. The, the great fall of the average preacher in America is immorality with, with a, a female, usually somebody in the church, often somebody on staff that they spend a lot of time with. We used to preach never be alone with someone of the opposite sex. No Sunday school teacher should ever be alone in a room with a bunch of kids. You want to go to jail? Just keep, keep, just go on. Just stand in a, you cannot defend yourself if there's no witnesses there. We no longer preach the dangers of being alone with the opposite say. Look, back in the 1800s, you didn't see this. You didn't see it. No, no young man was out strolling out in the backyard alone with a, with, his, with, with a girl. They knew better than that, and you know better than that, too. You just don't care. We've given in on this, or... Or, oh, my daughter wouldn't do anything. Well, you don't know your daughter. 
Well, my my sixteen year old young boy wouldn't do, wouldn't lay his hand on that little girl. Uh, no, you just give him a you just give him a minute alone. And listen, I got red blood in me. You got red blood in you. Are, are you are you are you an idiot? What what is wrong with us? Of course, it's a natural a natural thing. We used to we used to have hard preaching on that. The dangers of alcohol. Sex outside of marriage, immodesty, not dressing right. There are no absolutes anymore. Sin is no longer exceedingly sinful. We've become what the, we've become what the prior generation preached against. We, we, we have seen the enemy, and he is us, some famous guy said. The ecumenical movement has infiltrated the church with false doctrine, which will one day lead to the worship of the Antichrist. And real quickly, the last one, number three. The, the third pillar that makes a church a church is the scriptures. The final church is identified as losing something. I believe what they lost is their hold on the scriptures. Do you know what it says about the church before us, the Philadelphia age church? I got it here. Don't turn to it. Revelation 3 verse 18. Oh, no, this, I'm sorry. This is, the, this is the layout of scenes here. The church right before this, the Philadelphia church, he says, I've given, because thou has kept my word, I've given thee an open door that no man can shut. Now, I think that means exactly what it says it means. By the way, that second church, Philadelphia Church, is from 1700 to 1901. What happened during that time? Two great awakenings, movings of God, revivals, men like D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Wesley, his brother, uh, Susanna Wesley, all uh, the great men, the Finneys, the great men that you, that you read about. What age did they live in? The Philadelphia age. What was different then? Every one of them names I just gave you, and some of them, many of them were not Baptists. Every one of them, what, did they, what Bible did they preach out of? King James. That's all there was. It didn't matter if you were Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, uh, or what. You believed that the King James Bible was the word of God Almighty. By the way, they weren't running around quoting Greek and saying, well, in the originals it says this. Uh, They were quoting the King James Bible. They believed it was the word of God. Uh, so that's the age of the, the age of the great revivals, great awakenings, movings of God uh, under the King James Bible. What happens to the outer sins? He says in verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. Now let me ask you this in closing. What's the most valuable thing in the world to God? Is it his son Jesus? Is that the most valuable thing? No, the Bible says uh, the word of God. I've magnified my word above even my name. The word of God. It's the foundation of everything. If you lose that, you've lost it. What did the Laodicean church lose? I believe they lost their hold on the word of God. Everywhere I go, I I see it. And it's not just the King James. It's it's correcting with the Greek and the Hebrew and and they get up and they preach their sermons and they read a word. Now, that word in the originals, here's what. By the way, there are no originals. Right. Amen. There are no original manuscripts right. anywhere on planet Earth. Right. I promise you. Amen. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Go, go find me one. Uh, go Google it tonight. One of the oldest manuscripts in the world, I think, was like 8-something eight something uh, AD or something like that. Uh, the, old, the old little piece of a manuscript. And that's not original either. Right. 
Though, well, Brother Gundam, uh, those 5,500 manuscripts, uh, uh, those, are, those are not originals. And then all on one piece, they're scattered, they're pieces, they're ripped, little pages and half pages, and the little pieces of scriptures, 5,500 manuscripts. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to stake my salvation on those. Amen. And I wouldn't want to stake uh, that I know those are perfect either, because I don't believe they are. Amen. Did you know there's no perfect Greek anywhere on planet Earth? Do you know there's, there's, there's several different versions of Greek that different guys use? They're all different. Did you know that from 1517 to 1633, there were 16 editions of Greek? Did you know the one that's called the Textus Receptus, I hate to bust your bubble here, was not what the translators had? The one that's called the Textus Receptus came out in 1633. Prove me wrong. Now, did they have some Greek in them uh, when they translated? Sure they did. That's not all they had. And there was a lot of mistakes in the Greek. You'll see it in the italicized words. Hebrew, too. There's no perfect Hebrew. Amen. Nowhere in the world. Amen. You and I have something no other generation yeah. ever had. We've got the perfect Word of God exactly. that you can carry around in one volume of a book that you can put under your arm. Nobody ever had that till 1611. Exactly right. Nobody. This church loses the Scriptures. The final church of the end times loses the word of God. Hey, I think, I think we're there. <laughs> I think we're the church of the end time. I'm telling you, we're at the end of this thing. Now, what do we do? In closing, what do we do? Get right with God. Make sure you're saved. Get your life right with God. Yeah, I'd start today. I'd start today. I'd say, man, this, this, this serious stuff coming upon us. You're going to need a serious relationship with God if you're going to deal with what's coming upon this world and right here in America. I'm telling you, bad stuff is coming. I can't even tell you some of the things I think is coming. Bad stuff is coming. You're going to have to have a walk with God or you ain't going to survive it. You've got to be saved. You need to be right with the Lord. You need to be on good friendship speaking terms with God Almighty. You're going to have to get a hold of heaven. And you need to get your loved ones saved. Would you bow your heads, please? Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the church. Lord, there are still some good churches. There are lots of good churches, but, but there's a whole multitude of churches that have lost the pillars. To what makes a church a church. Well, we need to examine ourselves. We need to examine our church. We need to examine our personal life. Do I have these pillars in my life? Does my church have these pillars? Is preaching the most important thing that happens in my church? Is preaching the most important thing to me, or is it the song service or the, or the fellowship after? We need, to get our, we need to get back to the stuff. Thank you for everyone that's here today. And I pray you bless the invitation to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.